Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you that don't know, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Alpine, and I'm incredibly pumped that the sun is out. I've been praying lately for longer summers and quick winters. I've been praying a long time. It, Lord, Lord's got other plans. Hey, um, I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Don't you, don't you love when the songs we sing pronounce truth and then a double truth? And I'm not just a child of God, but yes, I am. It's like before you even argue with me. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Hey, a couple, just follow up a couple of those announcements. I don't know if you noticed in the one gathering with the ladies that the five uh, pictures of the women with their backs to you um, standing together are five uh, pastor's wives, including Allie, from our area, and that over 25 churches are now being represented, 31, 31 churches represented at this gathering, so don't miss that. And then Father's Day, huh? Yeah. I know. Hey, you know that it is the lowest attended Sunday of the year. What's the highest? Highest is Mother's Day. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to appeal to the competitive nature of most of us. Let's show up. It'll be fun, right? Some of you, even now, when, when somebody says Father's Day, you go, golf course, boat, sleep in, bow the yard. No? We would love to see you here. So come and hang out with us. Um, on Father's Day. Hey, we're in an intense message series. We've been in this. This will be the fifth week of identity crisis. I believe our world is in an identity crisis, um, a crisis of identity unlike anything we've ever seen. And the church itself is also in an identity crisis. Because we look too much like the world in which we live in, we as well are suffering similar identity issues in our own life. And so we've jumped into this conversation to say that we actually, you actually do not have an identity outside of Jesus, that Jesus brings the identity outside of that. The world tries to convince us that other identities exist, but God's identity is the only identity. He says, you were a people without an identity, but now you are a people. And, and so we're talking about what does it mean when you, when you decide to follow Jesus that you're God's kid? What is that how does that impact us? And here's what I think is true. Can I just be open and honest with you? And, and I'll, I'll, I'll use an analogy that I think parents will get. If you're not a parent, then maybe someday you'll get this and you can look back. And if you do, you'll get this. But have you ever, have you ever had your kids do something outside of what you hoped and planned they would do or be or act in a way that you knew wasn't their potential, but they could be better than that or give in to a temptation or a compromise that you're like, oh, I think God just has so much better for you. Anybody, you ever had that moment, right? Where there's just this sense of, oh, I've got, and I think when it comes to this identity issue, this one is a difficult one because I think for the majority of people, we circle the circumference of our life and we don't often do a deep dive into the deeper places where God is trying to take us. And this conversation is about three layers deep. And I believe God is up there saying, oh man, I have so much for you to know and understand and I hate when you settle for less. And he's saying that to all of us. And as a parent, when you feel that angst, I think a lot of times God stands up there and feels that angst. And so he sends Jesus, he sends the Holy Spirit to show us and teach us. And, and I want you to understand that, that we learn, we grow from the inside out. Now we try, religion tells us to change from the outside in, change your behavior, and ultimately it'll change your heart. It's not true. It doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit comes and works at us from the inside out, and the, more often than not, the ways in which we grow and are transformed is through prayer, 
being with God, knowing God, letting God show us who he is, grow our picture of God, and suffering. Woo! Right? And so when you think about a busy culture in which we live, the enemy keeps us so busy we don't pray and has convinced us that to be part of the American dream is to realize you don't have to suffer, suffer you deserve to be happy. And so we run from suffering and we're too busy to pray and yet it's the two things that will help get this message into our hearts more than any other things. And so I pray that God would challenge us in these and as we hear and we talk about this and as it seems more ideal than real, and here's what I want you to understand. Here's why we have this tension with our kids because we know they're settling for something less than what is absolutely ideal in our, in our thoughts and in our picture. And I think God wants you, when it comes to identity, to see the ideal so that when you're living in the real, you can keep running after the ideal. And that's what this message series has been all about, is putting this ideal up to say, this is actually where God wants you to live. We ought to do everything in our power with the Holy Spirit working with us to be who God says we are. And it may mean not just thinking that growth happens on a Sunday morning and that's your God experience. It's every day unpacking these truths, saying, God, help me see this. Help me know this. Help me understand it. Transform me from the inside out. All right, that was all free. Yeah. Um, and and, and here's, here's the deal. Here's what I want. Here's the deal. I can't open my technology, which, which is good. Um, I honestly think that if we'll let God lead us in this, that when we begin to live out of who we are, it will change everything. And so we talked about the fact that there is no identity outside of Jesus. And then God says we're his chosen people. We're royal priests. We're a holy nation. Today we're talking about we are God's special possession. We are his prize possession. Now here's the problem. When we hear the word possession in an individualistic, selfish, I need to control everything culture, we say I'm nobody's possession. Okay? I am my own thing. It's part of the problem because here's what's absolutely true. The Bible says, Jesus says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. And we sit there and go, I am my own. No, you're not. Here's what's true. When we run from being God's possession, we always run to something else being possessing us. You are never your own. You are always owned by something. Period. So we can sit here and say, well, I'm not going to be God's possession, but you are something or someone's possession. You've just been convinced by the enemy of your soul that you are your own. But something owns you. Let me describe it to you like this, okay? This will be fun for some of us and not for others. <laughs> Have you ever had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night? Amen. Right? Some of you are like, nope, that's because you're young. As you get older... You got to go to the bathroom a whole heck of a lot more. And here's what you don't want to do. Some of you are like, what does this have to do with anything? Just wait. Everything. When you got to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, here's what's true. You don't want to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And the reason is because you're comfortable, right? And it's warm in that bed and you're tired and you don't want to mess with the bathroom right now because it's over there and you're right here and it would require you going over there and going to the bathroom and you don't want to do that because then you got to wash your hands and you don't want to do that. And you got to come back to bed. And so none of that. And so you're laying there and you're saying to myself, I'm not going to get up and do this. And here's what you think is true. You think it's going to be better. You think, it, you think it's going to go away. 
It doesn't. So you think you're going to go back to sleep, and you don't, and it becomes painful until you decide, I'm going to get up and go to the bathroom. How many of you have walked through that scenario, and you know what I'm talking about? See, you're with me. Listen to me. You are not your own. And what we try to avoid in fully submitting to God's prized possession, we don't avoid. We become the possession of the world. And we are owned by something other than God because you are either one of two. You are owned by God or owned by something else, but you are owned. And so you ought to just get up and go. Because it changes everything. Now, are you with me? You understand the tension and the dynamic of what we're talking about. Stand with me then. Let's go to 2 Peter. We stand in these moments because reading God's word is the most important thing we do all day. We open up his word, we read his truth, and we learn to grow and be changed from the inside out by it. And so we're in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9, and it says, but you are not like that, meaning you don't find your value and identity from the world in which you live in. You've not been convinced that the lies that you've been told are true. You are not like that. You haven't sold out and belonged to something other than God. You've not rejected God. You are not like that. You are my kids, and you know it, and you believe it, and you live it. That's what he's talking about. Okay? That was, that was free. You're not like that, for you are a chosen people. And if you are not a chosen people, you are a people who have chosen to waste your life. We learned that a couple weeks ago. You are royal priests. You have direct access to the throne of God because of Jesus Christ. You are a holy nation. You are set apart. You belong to God, and the opposite of belonging to God is you belong to yourself. But God sets us apart. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. As a result of being that, you get to declare the praises of him. When we come in here and we sing songs, we aren't going through rituals. We're not practicing religion. We are letting the world know that all of this that we declare is true about our God. And so we will not be apathetic in our worship in here. We will declare it because we are called out of darkness into his light, and we want the world to know. And we walk out into this world and we obey God because that's how we declare the praises of God out there is we obey, and people find out who God is. And then it says in verse 10, once you had no identity as a people, now you're God's people. Once you received no mercy, but because of Jesus, now you have received God's mercy. God, I just pray in these moments you would challenge our hearts to hear what it means to be your prized possession, and that, God, we would live into this in a powerful, powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Talking about possession, let me define that for you if I can, because... Um, I think we often will, will feel tension around that, and, and so we just need to understand it fully. I looked it up in the dictionary. Here's what possession is. You ready? The state of having, owning, or controlling something. So when we are God's prized possession, we are under God's control. I would venture to say God does a better job controlling your life than you do. When you're leading your life, oftentimes it's trouble. When God's leading it, it's different. It doesn't mean trouble goes away. It just means you have dad walking with you through the trouble. The other definition I found was an item of property, something belonging to one. I have to tell you, um, I'm just not offended that, God, that I am God's property. I'm just not offended. Now, by the way, we get offended way too easy in our culture. So on Father's Day, we're going to talk about being unoffendable people. That'll be good. Come back for that. Another plug for Father's Day. Lowest attended Sunday in the year. <laughs> That's possession, if you will. Let me give you some, some other examples. I was talking to my kids, and I'm like, what would you say is your prized possession? My son said, my phone. 
And then he thought about it for a little bit. He goes, nope, actually my basketball. My basketball, because I'd rather play basketball than be on my phone. Now, he's proven this twice. This is the third service after the service last night. As soon as the service over, he came and wanted his basketball back. And as soon as the first service was over, he came and wanted his basketball back. This kid loves this basketball. This is a prized possession. It's amazing. You will hear this thing do this all day long in the mud house. It's this. And then he goes outside. And if you're trying to take a nap, this is what you hear through the walls of the house. He loves this basketball. Drives me. I'm excited for him. <laughs> and man, if he loses it, everything has to stop. It doesn't matter that it's sitting right in front of him. He just has to open his eyes. But we will just tear the house apart looking for this. He'll like, can't find it anywhere. Go, isn't that it right there? Oh, yeah, that's it. This thing, will, will, it's a prized possession. I was talking to my daughter. She's 15 years old. I said, what's your prized possession? She went and got this, this necklace that I gave her back when she was, I believe, 11 years old. We went on a trip together, and I shared with her that your identity um, is not just my daughter. Your identity is God. You're God's daughter. We spent a weekend together talking about this, and I gave her this necklace to remind her that her identity is not This is a prized possession of hers. She keeps it by her bed to remind her that she's God's daughter. Man, isn't that a good thing to be reminded of? That's a, that's a prized possession. I have a five-year-old son. Um, his prized possession. Yeah, I know. It's, it's not like that. It's not one. It's not just two. That, this one's a really special prized possession. This, this guy. So you can see we've tried to replace but it's not replacing, it's adding to. These are special. These are, pri- these are powerful things. These, these carry the power of sleep. He can't sleep. Did you know that? Without his prized possession. The, unless this prized possession is wrapped up in it. And if you try to give three and not four, he's going to know that there's one missing. <laughs> this is a prized possession of a five-year-old. And man, these are important. We're not a pet family. We decided a long time ago we wouldn't be a pet family. We will never have pets. My wife grew up with pets. They stink. Some of you, how many pet people in the room? Yeah, good. You'll love this story. Turning my emails off for a while. Decided no pets ever. And my my nine-year-old, she decided that she wanted chickens. Right? Chickens. And so we're like, no, 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 no. And then her best friend gets a chicken. It's a couple, three or four. And she's like, well, my best friend has them. Why can't I have them? And so we're like, that's fine. We'll get you chickens. They'll be in the garage. They'll probably die before they become adults. It's hard to, it's hard to raise chickens, right? It's, it's really difficult. And come to find out that, that our, our, her best friends have grown up, and now they've got to build a chicken coop. So we're like, we're not doing chickens. Like, a chicken coop? Are you kidding me? We thought we could put them in a Tupperware bin and, just, and, and put a lamp on them, and it's good, right? They're going to grow. So we're like, no chickens, and she's down, and she's kind of really bummed about it. We're in the car, and my wife goes, fine, that's fine. We'll just go get four hamsters. Everybody gets a hamster. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, first of all, what spirit just inhabited you? <laughs> and second of all, what about one? Like family pet little hamster, right? No, no, we got each of them a hamster. And so this little guy has become um, a very prized possession. He, you, you know what? Oh, there he is. 
Don't, do not bite me. I just literally beat you up right there. I'm sorry. There he is. Right? I mean, when you think about, it looks like a rat. Well, it's in the family. Isn't that beautiful, right? Huh? They stink. Prize possession. At least we're getting to where the prize possessions have a heart, right? They're beating. It's alive. Um, doesn't bite. It's a really friendly one, but it stinks. Here's what's amazing about these crazy things is you can't put them upstairs in the bedrooms. Why? Because they run all night. Did you know that? You can't put them downstairs because it's too cold. And you can't put them in the garage because it's hot and cold and hot and cold and hot and cold. And you'll kill them, which might be a good idea. <laughs> I told you, I'm turning my emails off for a while. So you got to put them at the middle level and four of them, the whole middle level smells like what? Pee. It's a prized possession. Very important. I asked my wife, I said, uh, she asked me, I was sharing this with her, she goes, what's your prized possession? I said, you. Right? She laughed. She literally laughed at me. And I'm like, I just assumed I was her prized possession. That, that sounded like this was going to go really well. But after the laugh, I'm like, I'm not even going to ask what your prized possession is. When we talk about prized possession, we are not unfamiliar to this term. Whether the, the object is an animate object or an inanimate object, we, we know prized possession. We all have them. You have things that are very important to you and valuable, and you cherish them, Right? whether that's things or people. And so Peter chooses this word for a reason. He wants you to know, listen to me, follower of Jesus. And this is, this is specific to those who have made a decision to follow Jesus. God is saying, you are his prize possession. Golly. You think about how serious we get about ours. God got pretty serious about his. You, I don't care what the world's told you. I don't care what the people in your life have told you. You are God. If you're following Jesus, you are God's prized possession. You are special. We got to let that sink in way more. We got to get past all the superficial. We got to stop circling the circumference of our life and dive in and find where Jesus is. You are a prized possession. Maybe you find that hard to believe, and you may think that because of what you've done or what others have done to you that you're not special. I would say that's crazy. It's lies that you're not worth much. You may even have a negative self-image, and you may compare yourself with others and believe that everybody else is so much better than you, and I would say those are lies. When you decide to follow Jesus and you submit to the Lordship of Christ and you say, not my will, but yours will be done. And that's a battle. I get it. But when you do that, God says, you are chosen. You're doing that because I picked you. You're a royal priest. You're a holy nation. And you are my prized possession. We got to start acting like that. What if the church would start acting like that? I hope this is good news for you. It feels good. The truth is, you're so much more than what you think you are. We are so beat down by culture and things, and God is stepping in this morning to tell you, you are so much more than you think you are. Look at your neighbor and say, you're more than you think you are. See, that's involvement right there. That's speaking truth. That's speaking truth. 
Listen, hear me. That was just that, not anything else. Some of you are like, permission to talk. It's good. I love it. <laughs> Listen to me. How do I know? How do I know that you're so much more than you think you are? How do I know? I want you to hear this because that's what the Bible tells me. And if I want to know who God is and who I am, I go to the Bible. I don't listen to people. If I want to know who I am and who God is, I go to his word. I don't listen to the news and culture. If I want to know who I am and who God is, I go to his word and I listen to other people that have gone to his word because that's where I discover who I am and whose I am. And when I find out who God is, I discover who I am. And it's not what you've been saying, so stop saying it. You see what I mean? I mean, that's a righteous indignation. I wish you understood that when you have the authority of God in your life, you can speak to the devil and tell him to go. You can speak to the lies and tell them to stop. In Jesus' name, whoo. It's, it's in the Bible that I learned that being, I'm, a, I'm a prized possession of God. It means that I'm treasured, I'm valued, I'm cherished, and I'm so loved by him. You know what? Even in your worst day, when you look nothing like Jesus, God would look at you and say, I love you more than you know right now. You're my prized possession. Guys, listen, I'm telling you this a hundred different ways this morning, and here's why. Because when you've heard the lie so many times, you need to hear the truth that much more, if not more. And so I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I hope the record keeps playing. Because we have to hear it. Ephesians chapter 1, listen to this. Paul, talking to the church at Ephesus, believers, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Man, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Doesn't sound like the God who hates you, does it? So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. James 1, 18. Listen to this one. You ready? He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. Jesus, awakening our hearts to Jesus, helping us make a decision to follow Jesus. And we, out of all creation, in that moment, not because of anything you did, but because of Jesus, became his prize possession. I mean, you're going to start doing that as we say that. Because I think that God is waking up to the church to who we really are. We have been subdued by the enemy too long. What would a church look like that knew who they were? Why are we God's prized possession, followers of Jesus? Let me give this to you really quick because here's what I think is true. I think we sit in a room, and many of us, I'm going to say this, and you're going to say, I already know that. But here's the problem. The precious has become familiar, and you've lost your passion. And so I'm going to say it to us so we can hear it again and celebrate it because, man, it should, it should deeply move us. You know that you know that you're God's prized possession based on these three things. And you may be sitting here and you've just thought God was against you and didn't like you and wasn't for you. And I'm telling you, God doesn't look around to look at what's bad about you. He's trying to help you see what's good about him. And it's so much better. But here it is. Three ways I know that we're God's prized possession. One, he created us. 
He created us. In his image, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God made us. He said before he formed you in the womb, he knew you. There is nobody like you. You are unique. There's not one human being the same as you. And God did that. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. We put it on our refrigerators. You are God. And he created you because he loves you. You didn't come from monkeys. You came from God, from his creative genius, from his love. But we decided we didn't want God, and so humanity rebelled and chose to walk away from God because we were convinced we could do this by ourselves. How are we doing? And so God wasn't good with us being separate. See, because sin separates us from God, and there was no way back because of sin. You know what? God could have just said, listen, you don't want to be part of this. That's fine. You're done. I don't want you. But that's not who God is. He loves you. And so God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. That whoever would believe in him would have eternal, everlasting life to the full. Come on, church. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Not only did he create you, but he made a way through his own son's death on a cross. Listen, I love you guys. I don't even know you, and I love you. There's some of you I've known a long time, and I love you, but I don't love you that much. I would not give up a, my child for you. That's real. But, but God did. He walked to the edge of eternity with Jesus and he sent him to die because he wasn't okay with us being away from him. And he didn't just die, but he rose from the dead. It cost him so much to tell you that you are his prized possession. And he didn't just die, but he rose from the dead so that we could have hope and life. And so every one of those sins in your life that are killing you, God wants to raise you. There is life in those places if you'll just let God reach those places. Paul said, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. He's not saying, when we read the Bible, sometimes we get real condemning. We're like, you don't belong to yourself. About fell over. Hang on. (laughs) A little too far pointing. He's not saying you don't belong to yourself. He's saying you don't belong to yourself. That's freedom. Thank God because, hey, God, I'm not doing well with this. You take it. You don't belong to yourself. Here's what he says. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. See, God sees us just as we are. He sees the image we give to the world through social media, and he knows us from the inside. He knows our flaws. He knows our weaknesses, our strengths. He knows our potential, and knowing all these things, knowing us as we truly are, God still calls you and me his prized possession. Nobody else in the world does that. Nobody. We belong to God. We're not to live as though we belong to any other person, whether they're a friend, a parent, or a spouse. If we do, we open ourselves up to being mistreated, misused, abused. The words go on. We don't need to spend our life trying to win the approval or acceptance of others, trying to be who they want us to be when we've been told that we belong to God. Because when you live in that belonging, in that possession of God, you will love and treat people the way God treats people. Changes everything. 
I don't live for the approval of men. I live for the approval of God. Why? Because I belong to God. And as his prized possession, we can trust him completely. He cares for us, protects us, watches over us, wants the best for us. He wants us to become the person he created us to be. He actually has our best interests in mind. Don't you know that as parents, we want the best for our kids. It's why we do what we do. And sometimes we fail and sometimes we succeed. But it's because we want the best. That's what God is about. That's good news. All right. How does this impact how we live each day? Because I think it does. I think it's real easy to tell if I understand that I am God's prized possession. I think we will live a certain way. I think knowing that truth from the inside out will change and impact two things really fast. One, how you view yourself, and two, how you treat other people. You want to get practical this morning? Here it is. How you view yourself. It impacts how we see ourselves. I believe it gives us right perspective of ourselves. And how many would say that you could use some right perspective of yourself? Let me ask you this. How many of you view yourself perfectly from a healthy perspective? Okay, the word perfectly eliminates everybody. Because we don't. And so I believe that when we can see this differently... It gives us a better view. We have no need to compare ourselves with others. I'm so sick of the comparison games. Get off social media if you can't stop comparing. And just be who God called you to be no matter what anybody thinks. Or no matter what anybody else is doing. To think less or more of ourselves than we should. It'll change that because you'll know what God believes about you. And not only does it change the way we think about ourselves, it also changes the way we behave. When you know that you're God's prized possession, you just act different. We want to bring glory to God in the things we do, not ourselves. And we want to choose to do those things which are honorable and good and right rather than mistreating our bodies or doing what displeases God and just going after what we want. Galatians 6, 4 through 5 in the message says this. Listen to this. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Man, we could spend some time here. <laughs> Couldn't we? Because I think what we tend to do in the church is we talk about all the lies the devil is telling us on the negative, but we, don't rare, we rarely address the lies that are in the positive. Like, I'm really awesome and don't need God. That's a lie. Or letting us define success according to the world standards instead of God's. That's a lie. There's lies on that side of the coin as well. So don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. It says that in the Bible. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. And then the second thing is it impacts how we treat others. Listen to me. As followers of Jesus, we are supposed to be the greatest banner of God to this world. When our identity is shaped by who God says we are, we will do that through how we love each other. I want, I want you to get this. And I'm not going to go that long today, okay? So if you can, zero in this last little bit because it's important. The Bible says that the world will know Jesus. They'll know we're Jesus' people. They'll know we're his kids by the way in which we love each other. And I have to tell you, when the world looks into the church, they don't see us treating much, each other much better than they treat each other in the world. Matter of fact, sometimes the opposite is true. And when you realize that you are a prized possession of God, and you begin to see that others are a prized possession of God, you will treat them differently. 
it will impact the way you see each other. And here's what also is true. Even though this identity is reserved for those who follow Jesus, the, every person in the world that God loves is available to become a prized possession as well. And so we don't look at them and see them any different than what God sees them. And every person our physical eye sees is deeply loved by God. Every person, no matter what they think, believe, act, or behave like. And so they are the potential prized possessions of God, and we want to treat them that way. Are you understanding what I'm saying? What's on the line? What's at stake? That when we understand we're God's prized possession, we will actually treat people differently? When we believe that every single one of us is God's prized possession, it has an impact on how we interact with others inside the church and outside. And rather than being judgmental and critical and showing favoritism and belittling others, we will see them as God sees them. We'll recognize their worth and value. We'll believe in their significance. We'll accept them as they are. We'll love and esteem them as God does. We will lead with love, not judgment, because when you lead with judgment, you cannot love. It doesn't mean judgment doesn't come. It doesn't mean truth doesn't come. Jesus always brought truth, but he brought it in love. Always. What would happen if we begin to live? See, I think the Holy Spirit has to convince us that we're God's prized possession, and that's actually a good thing. I think the Holy Spirit has to convince us that. I think we can go out of here, and we can, we can put people in our life that will just keep going, you're God's prized possession, you're God's prized possession, you're God's prized Would everybody just tell me that? Call me and tell me you're God's possession. And that's good, and that's fine, but that won't change us. What we need is to get along with God and say, Holy Spirit, change my heart. Take the lies and bring truth. Through your word, bring truth. Through your people, bring truth. Yes, yeah, surround yourself with people who remind you in those moments that you are God's prized possession, but just hearing it alone doesn't change it. The Holy Spirit does the work. And so we put ourselves in places where the Holy Spirit can do the work, and that's good news. Here's what's working against us. So let me close with this, with this thought. Here's what, we sit here. How many of you sit here and go, man, I would love to live my life as if I believed with all my heart I was God's prized possession? Raise your hand. That's most of us. Here's three things that keep us from living as God's prized possession. And we're all susceptible, and these three things are at work in most of us. The first one is this, our selfishness. Our selfishness. And for some of us, you're more selfish than another Someone is less selfish, but there is a spirit of selfishness that will destroy and keep you from living as God's prized possession. I had a counselor one time look me in the, in the eye, and he said these words. He said, hey, do you realize how selfish you are? And I went, oh, that's hurtful. Do you? Right? <laughs> Let's talk about you. Now, I remember, like, after he said that, like, there was some deep, like, I remember going to bed and just hearing this. Do you realize how selfish you are? <laughs> right? right? I remember getting up in the morning and first voice in your head was, Do you realize how selfish you are? And I remember when I would be selfish, I would hear, Do you realize how selfish you are? Right? And I began to realize that I'm selfish. <laughs> and it's actually hurting me. That's why Jesus said, If you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. There's an expectation to die just like Jesus died. And live in Christ, not in me. Selfishness will keep you. This, this idea that I'm not going to let anybody own me will keep you from being God's prized possession, even when he desperately wants you to be. The second thing is our need to understand everything, to control everything. So tired of it. Aren't you? 
I mean, we just got to control everything. You know, the psalm says, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And some of us are like, why is my path like this? Because you want to understand everything. You're like, okay, God, I get it. You know, you want me to do this, but I really kind of need to know what you want me to do. And if you could speak audibly, that'd be great because I'm not hearing you and I want to hear you. And if I don't hear you, I'm not going to do it. And if I just don't understand why you would want me to do it. And I feel like I've asked you and you haven't responded. So can you just do it this way? And we sit here mad at God. And the reason we're mad at God is because God didn't define himself or act within the box we put him in. It's because he's God. Stop putting him in a box and you might be thrilled with him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, could you imagine if they needed to control that situation? I mean, we know the story. They were told to bow to the idol. And they're like, no, I, we love God. We don't love that idol. And God said not to have any other gods before him, and so we're not going to bow. They're like, well, they're going to throw you in the fiery furnace if you don't bow. And they're like, it doesn't matter. We're not going to bow. They didn't go in and go, hey, here's the deal. We're not going to bow. But what's going to happen if we don't bow? Listen, this is, even, this is even better. You ready for this? Matter of fact, here's what they said. You can throw us in the furnace and God will save us, but if he doesn't, we still won't bow. So throw us in. The church, the church, right? the church, today, the church today would be like, whoo. Okay, so we're going to go out there and we're not going to bow. But here's what I need. God, can you let me know what's going to happen when they throw us in the fire? Are we going to get burned or are we not going to get burned? Is it going to hurt? I don't know if it's going to hurt. Are you going to be there or are you not going to be there? And are we going to get out or are we not going to get out? I just don't know. And what do I need to say? And I don't know what to say. That's the church. Nope, they just went, I know God's good. I know that's bad. Not going to do it. Jesus will meet us in the fire. But if he doesn't, still not bound. And Jesus met him in the fire. The need to control will keep you from being God's prized possession. Here's the last one. Living in a culture that says you are an individual. See, this whole thing that God's trying to communicate, this is not a me-centered conversation. Chosen people is not about one. Royal priests is not about one. Holy nation is not about one. God's prized possessions, not about one. We are a collective. And the moment you think it's about you being an individual and having your way and what you want, you will miss the power of the collective. That as a family, we are walking in God's will. And we will be who God's called us to be, whether you put us in a fire or not. Those things are keeping us from living in God's prize possession. You are not your own. Well, 1 Corinthians 6, you do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. He put the Holy Spirit in you. If you're a follower of Jesus and your life is not your own, it belongs entirely to him. And church, this is the opposite of contemporary American gospel which teaches us that Jesus died to make you into a bigger and better you. Oh, I hope that's not the gospel. I would love the world to see a bigger and better God, not a bigger and better Dave. Oh, that scares me to death. You don't need a bigger, better Dave. You need a bigger, better God. But that's the American gospel, to make you a bigger, better you, to help you fulfill your dreams and your goals. Can I just step out on a limb here and upset some people? Potentially. And you can talk to me about it afterwards if you want, but I'm convinced God doesn't care a whole lot about your dreams and your goals. He really cares about his and his dreams and his goals for you, his plan and his heart for you. 
See, what most of us need to do is present all those dreams and plans to the Lord and see if he gives them back. And if he doesn't, it might mean he's got a better one. Actually, it probably does. We have to stop preaching the American gospel. It's quite the opposite. Jesus died for you and me so that we too would die. Die to sin and die to self and live a new life for him. That's when we find out what life is really about. That's when we come into our true destiny and purpose. Identity always leads to destiny in Jesus. So despite what many say, Jesus did not come into this world and suffer and die to give us a key, give us the keys to a happy and prosperous life. Although there's endless joy in his presence and everything we need is found in him, that is true. Instead, the word says that Jesus died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. 2 Corinthians 5.15. It's, it's gospel 101. It's why we're getting excited. It's where discipleship begins. We no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose, and not by ourselves, but together. The church, his family, advancing in the world. To the outsider, this looks like bondage and dead religion, but to the insider, to the child of God who knows Jesus, this is freedom and life. We're getting up and going to the bathroom because we know it's better. <laughs> Slipped it back in. We get to live our lives for God. It's glorious because it's God. Colossians 3 if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. How much clearer could it be? The old life we lived, we live no more. Instead, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. That's where our ultimate focus is. Not only true that Jesus paid the price for our sins, he paid the price for your life, your whole life, for everything we are and ever could be. And now our glorious calling and destiny is to live our lives worthy of the Lord, lives, lives that bear fruit forever, not seeing how close we can walk to the world's line. I'm so tired of that. In my own life and in yours. We look so much like the world because we can say their words and do what they do and act like they act. We're no different. But we can come to the Lord today as his prized possession and say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will, God, but yours. And we can obey and watch what God does. Does that express your heart? Can you joyfully pray, Lord, your will, not mine, be done? See, the amazing thing is that when we deny ourselves and take up the cross, our will becomes one with his. And when we lose our lives for his sake, we actually find it. We find real life. You are not your own. Something always owns you. Why not just let it be Jesus? You know why he owns us, Rick? He owns us because he's saving us. The world owns you to destroy you. You've been bought with a price. You are the Messiah's treasured purchased possession. To hold back is to disobey. To yield unconditionally is to enter into the very life of God. The kingdom of God at work. Would you stand with me this morning? How might we see ourselves differently? I'm going to say this again. I want you to catch this. How might we see ourselves differently when we see ourselves as God's prized possession? Where am I selfish? Where am I always needing to control? 
Where am I acting like an individual instead of the church? How might we treat others differently when we see them as God's prized possession? Would the world really look in and see Jesus because they see love? How might we choose to live differently in this world knowing it doesn't define us, but God did? How might we? How might we? How might we? We could go on with question after question, living as a prized possession of God. You are God's prized, special possession. Is he yours? Is he? Because he wants to be. You know, someday. I hope Paxton trades this in for Jesus. I think he will. We'll talk about these as a prized possession that was and the prized possession that is, I believe, will be Jesus. I hope that. I hope this necklace, Lex, becomes more than just a reminder. I hope it becomes God's truth that you live from. Caden, I hope that who you are isn't defined by this ball, but who you are defines how you use it. Because you're God's. And he's yours. And I really don't care a whole lot about the hamsters. <laughs> May you find the joy that comes when you're convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt That you are God's prized possession, and all that comes with it is yours. Love you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Yeah.